Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to talk about the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. The fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. And we will be studying and reviewing chapters 24 to 29 of Genesis. Genesis has 50 chapters, so we're right in the middle. And we'll be looking at Isaac. We'll be looking at the end of Hebrews 13. Last week we looked at Hebrews 11 and 12. We'll be looking at 13 today, last chapter of Hebrews. And a couple of chapters in Romans, at the, toward the end of Romans, Romans 12, 13, and 14, selected verses, and continue with our study of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 7, verse 37. I spoke about that last week and we'll be looking at chapter 7 and chapter 8 of John. In chapter 24, 25, 26, we have the death of Abraham in chapter 25, verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. While he was still living, verse 6, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land in the east. Abraham lived 175 years. He breathed his last, he died a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael, remember Isaac born to Sarah, Ishmael born to the Hagar, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mambri, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite, in the field that Abraham had bought from the Hittites earlier in Genesis. Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After his death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Pier Lahoi Roy. This is the account of Abraham's son, Ishmael. Now we have, that's from uh, Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian born to Abraham, and that's in verse 12 following. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. Then we begin the famous story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Remember, we talked about Rebekah at the well in the last week. She's the daughter of Bethuel, the Ar Armenian from Padam Haram and sister of Laban, the Armenian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Hmm, that sounds pretty familiar. Like Abraham and Sarah, Sarah's barrenness. The Lord answered it, and his wife became pregnant. The babies jostled each other. Two nations are in the womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated, the Lord said. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, normally in that culture at that time, the oldest is the primary one. That is the one that is going to rule. But in this case, the oldest is going to be subservient to the youngest. Twin boys. The first came out red. This is verse 25. And his whole body was like a hairy garment, and he was named Esau. The next brother came out, grasping Esau's heel. It was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. So you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why don't we say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? Well, that's what these middle chapters in Genesis are about. Okay, 
And what happens at the end of 25 is that Esau is going to sell his birthright to Jacob because he's hungry. Look at verse 32. It's unbelievable. In verse 31, he says, sell me your birthright too. I'm about to die. What good is the birthright? Jacob said, swear to me. He swore an oath. He sold his birthright to Jacob because he was starving. Jacob gave Esau some bread and Lenten stew. He ate and drank, got up and left. Esau despised his birthright. This is very bad. And it's going to hurt Esau significantly in his uh, life. We see the exploits of Isaac and Abimelech in chapter 26. In chapter 27, we see where Jacob gets Isaac's blessing. Now, what you want to get from your father is the blessing. The reason he could get it is because Isaac couldn't see very well. And Jacob disguised himself. Jacob said to his father, verse 19, chapter 27, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of the games so you may give me your blessing. He deceived him. He deceived him. And so... Isaac and Esau and Jacob. It's a very interesting set of scriptures in Genesis because it's Jacob is <laughs> Jacob is a very cagey person and he does some some things that are questionable to say the least. And what happened was is that he got he got his father Isaac's blessing. And so I, Esau later comes in in that chapter, chapter 27, and he wants the blessing, but he doesn't get it. Let's start with verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, uh, what was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. Esau heard his father's words. Bless me too, father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Which means he grasps the heel. Remember when I said he grasps the heel as he was coming out of the womb, grabbing Esau's heel, firstborn? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, verse 37, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. I have sustained him with my grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too. Esau wept aloud. Jacob flees to Laban because Esau's coming after him. Incredible story here. I hope that you enjoy it. Again, read it slowly. May not be familiar with this, um, this narrative. It's a great narrative. If you have a Bible that has um, a commentary on the bottom of it, a study Bible, that might be helpful to understand what's going on. But I think you can read it and get the gist, if not all, of what is happening here. It's quite remarkable, this relationship between Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Jacob's dream at Bethel, or Bethel, some people call that word Bethel, 
He had a dream, verse 12, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with the top reaching to heaven with the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. I am the Lord God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Remember that the Lord in Genesis 12 promised Abraham and his descendants the land. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Jacob makes a vow. He called the place Bethel. Very important chapter. Chapter 29, Jacob arrives in Padam Haran. He continues on his journey, and Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. And you see at the bottom of chapter 29 the children that he has. And the children that he's going to have are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons. We'll say more about that as we continue our work together. But just keep that in mind as you're reading verse 29. We're going to be looking at the 12 tribes so that when Joshua comes in and takes the land and divides it up in judges, he's going to divide it up according to the 12 tribes of Israel which are the 12 sons of Jacob. Very important historical note. Hebrews chapter 13. I love Hebrews chapter 13, last chapter of Hebrews. Keep on loving each other as brothers. That's a good way to start in the first verse. Then he talks about not entertaining uh, strangers for some, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. So there's a selection of different verses that apply to different things that he says. Keep your lives free from the love of money. In verse 5, never will I leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can he do for me? Verse 8, one of my favorite verses, Jesus Christ is the same to, today, yesterday, today, and forever. He has, he's an eternal being. And as you go through this beautiful last chapter, uh, you'll see lots of phrases, very short little pericopes that we call them, or lines, and uh, very satisfying, very moving, very full. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority, verse 17. Pray for us, verse 18. He asks a blessing on them in verse 20 and 21. Chapter 12 of Romans. Chapter 12 of Romans. So what we have in our epistle lesson today is the last chapter of Hebrews, which has some beautiful lines to it. In chapter 12 of Romans, we have another tremendous chapter. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world in verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in the second half of Romans, the second half of Romans, chapters 9 to 16, we put our faith into practice, particularly as we look at chapters 12 13 and 14, which is what you see uh, on the program today. And you'll see the scriptures for every day of the week. And you see Romans 12, 1 through 8, 12, 9 to 21, 13, 1 to 14, and 14, 1 to 23. And that is a beautiful listing of how we should live our lives. Love must be sincere, for example, chapter 12, verse 9. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Bless those who persecute you, verse 14, bless and do not curse. What if we just, all of us did that? Wouldn't that be great? Do not be proud. That's a good one. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Wouldn't that be great if everybody could do that? Be careful 
to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, that would be fantastic. Any one of these scriptures is just great. But it's important to keep reading them. It's the importance of reading the Bible and reading the scriptures. You want to let these words sink into your mind, sink into your soul, sink into your heart. And then you begin to live them out on a daily basis by responding to them because they are inside of you. And so I appreciate very much all of you who are reading these scriptures in the daily office lectionary on a daily basis and giving yourself time for these words to sink into your soul. Chapter 13, the submission to authorities, followed by, here's a good one, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For the person that loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfillment of the law, he says in verse 10. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. In verse 12, again, how do you want us to live? Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14 of this week. Hebrews 13, great week of scriptures in the New Testament to share how we should live our lives. Chapter 14, we see the same thing, verses 1 to 23. If we live, verse 8, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So that whether we live or die, we belong before the Lord. Each of us, chapter 14, verse 12, will give an account of himself to God. We're all going to give an account. So what do we need to do? We need to know who to believe in, what to believe in, why to believe in it. And then we need to act upon that. So we try to balance in this study as we go through these scriptures together. Doctrine, theology, what we believe, the way we act, ethics, putting our faith into action. How should we live? Hebrews 13, Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14 gives us lots of examples. Final verse on 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, verse 17 of chapter 14, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. The kingdom of God, it's not about eating and drinking. It's about virtues like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pick up with Jesus again. I left you last week in chapter 7. And now on the greatest day of the feast, Jesus says, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Reminds me of the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. She thought she was getting some water. Literally, he was providing something greater than water. Last week, we looked at the discussion with the Pharisees regarding manna that we see in Exodus where God took care of them in the wilderness. But now Jesus is offering something greater than manna or greater than water at the well with the Samaritan woman. He's offering himself to thirst from and drink from. He's offering himself as the bread of life as we saw in John chapter 6, verse 37. He continues that commentary, but people do not believe, as you'll see as you read through chapter 7. Some believe, many people do not believe. The religious people do not believe. It's very sad. In chapter 8, we have the adulterous woman caught in adultery. The law says, verse 5, commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were going to trap him. They're not being nice 
They don't care about Jesus. They're really not trying to get the right answer. They are trying to trap him. So Jesus bends down, writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. He questions him. He asks him a question. If any of you is without sin or makes this statement, anybody here without sin? Question mark. Let him be the first to throw a stone over. Any of you without sin, you can start throwing. He stooped down and wrote at the ground. At this, those who began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Only Jesus and the lady were left, the adulterous woman. Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. What do we see with Jesus there? Very, very profound, very important. I will grant you forgiveness, but you can't continue to do this sin. So don't go back and commit adultery. Leave your life of sin. I love the simplicity of that. Leave your life of sin. Go and leave it. I've forgiven you. He does not condemn her, but he does not support her activity. Jesus spoke again to the people, 8:12, I'm the light of the world. Remember, he calls himself the bread of life. He calls himself later in 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In 15, he calls himself the vine. In chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. Chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. <laughs> I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're not following Jesus, you are walking in darkness. Again, we go back and forth with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are challenging him. Now, I love reading John. I'm sure you do too. These long discourses that John has with us and shares with us. These challenges, these debates between Jesus and the Pharisees. And what comes out of that is some great theology and great teaching of Jesus. We have a great understanding. We don't see this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in what we call the Synoptic Gospels. But we see this in John. It's very beautiful. He says in verse 23, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. And they say, Who are you? They don't know who he is. Now we started in John chapter 1 with the prologue, 1 to 18, that said who Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he showed himself to be the Messiah by the signs that he did for them, beginning with the water into wine at Cana in Galilee in chapter 2 of John. And he's been showing himself throughout these chapters, as it were. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me, his father, is reliable in what I've heard from him, I tell the world. So Jesus is taking the words of God, sent by God, and sharing them with us. He says in verse 29, I always do what pleases him. The Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples and the truth will set you free. Remember that verse? You've heard that verse before in your life. John 8, 32. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, verse 36. He tells them that he has heard from God and he actually refers to Abraham. They said, we are not illegitimate children, verse 41. The only father we have is God himself. And so Jesus 
continues the dialogue with him, and he gets pretty, pretty rough, verses 42 to 47. He said, if a person keeps my word in verse 51, he will never see death. They ask him at the end of verse 53, who do you think you are? So again, we're going back and forth, long discourse. Good theology here. Read it slowly. You will enjoy this very much, and I hope get much out of it. If I glorify myself, this verse 54 of chapter 8, my father whom you claim is your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. I know him, I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He said, you're not 50 years old. Abraham's been dead for 1,800 years. Then he says in verse 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Which basically means, before Abraham existed, I existed. Now, unless you could see that with the eyes of faith, you would think that the man was raving mad. And so what did they do in verse 59? They picked up stones to stone him, which they would have killed him with enough stones thrown at him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They weren't going to kill him until it was time. But that's how incensed they were. Jesus was speaking the truth to them, but they could not hear it. So as you go through these scriptures this week, I pray that we, me too, will hear the word of the Lord, will believe the word of the Lord, as we look at Isaiah, Isaac, and we look at Jacob and Esau, we look at the wonderful words of Paul to the Romans in chapters 12, 13, and 14, and of course in chapter 7 and 8 of John. Listen to these marvelous words from Scripture, and I pray that you will believe them and act faithfully upon them. God bless you, and have a wonderful week. Next week, we'll look at the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. Mm -hmm.